Mm, what a great privilege it is, Lord, just to be able to pronounce the name of Jesus on our lips. We know there is no other name in heaven or on earth or under the earth by which women and men, children, could be saved. Jesus, we also know that the name itself has power. For all the life, all the nature, all the character, it represents God, we, we give you glory and praise for Jesus. And God, as we gather today, we want so much to know Jesus. We confess that we find ourselves vulnerable to our own flesh's temptations, to the, to the temptations of the culture and the world around us. Oh God, we don't like to admit it, but we fall prey to the very same Wiles of the evil one again and again, even though we know that his strategies never change. And so, God, in the midst of all the challenges we face today, we choose instead to set our face on Jesus. We choose instead to gaze on his beauty, on his glory. God, we add our voices to myriad angels and saints who have gone before and we declare in the midst of every other physical, emotional, and spiritual struggle that he is sufficient. He is supreme. God, as as we open your word today, we just pray that, that those truths would sink deep into our hearts, that they would find in the as Jesus said in the parable of the, of the soil, they would find good soil. And those truths would take root, God. And they would become, like in our heart, a mighty oak under which many might find shade and comfort. And I just thank you for each woman and man, each student and child here today, God. The testimony of their lives, which, which turns my face toward Jesus, God, we know you're not done yet. You have invited us to go before you into a world that desperately needs to see Jesus with flesh on, that desperately needs to experience the love of God from a human being. And so, God, we just ask that nothing would impede that. Forgive us our sins, God. They are many. And And the worst part of it is then we begin to doubt that somehow you'd ever be pleased to dwell in us. We begin to doubt, God, the call of God on our lives. So we declare that you are worthy. The Lamb has overcome. You are able to open, Jesus, the scrolls which which we could not open. You are able through your blood on the cross to wash away every sin every impediment to our, our spiritual life. And God, we just, we just ask you, meet us in this place today where there is a need for physical healing. I'm thinking about our dear sister Barbara this morning. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about Carol. I'm thinking about um, Mike recovering from his surgery. God, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about those who need your physical touch right now. Prove yourself glorious. Touch our bodies, God, and make them whole so that with joy we'll be able to to bring the gospel to those who need to hear it. 
But then, God, we're so mindful, too, especially in this season of the trauma that many have experienced, some very personal, um, some corporate, some global, like we're experiencing as a, as a nation. Uh, God, I'm, I'm so mindful of the trauma that, that uh, would, would crush our souls. And I pray for those who are struggling to carry that heavy burden. God, would you grant us a supernatural ability to bring those burdens to the cross, to lay them there, to leave them there, God, so that the only one who is really able to bring that emotional healing might be able to care for us. And then, God, we just pray for those who are still asking you for that gift of faith. Could it be today? God, that, that you would say, I have seen you. I have heard your cry. I will respond. I will grant you that gift of faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. And then, God, that, that we might be born again even here today. Mm. Thank you that all things are possible through Jesus Christ. To him be all glory and honor and praise. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Mm. One of these one of these Sundays I'm gonna open my eyes after prayer and I'm gonna be in the foyer, but I'm working back to you. Would you uh, however you access the word of God, would you pull that out? Um, and uh, as an old fogey, I'm going to take advantage of that um, personal privilege of saying, don't underestimate the power of having the book in your hands. And uh, open, however you access it, to um, Colossians chapter 3. To Colossians chapter 3. Hear the word of God, would you, again, from the book of Colossians. If then... You have been raised with Christ, verse 1 of chapter 3. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, past tense, you have died, and your life is hidden, present tense, with Christ in God And when Christ, future tense now, who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Oh, my goodness. With that in mind, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. And look at this first group of things. They're all, most of them sexual. They're mostly inside of us. Put to death sexual immorality. And, and I think here is specifically he's thinking about the expression of immorality. But, but you can be completely chaste and still struggle. And so, so wisely, Paul says, don't just put to death the actions of sexual immorality, but put to, get, put to death the impurity which drives it, right? Put to death passion, evil desire. And covetousness, 
which is idolatry. My mind immediately goes to, to wanting things, but that's not the context that he is here. He uses, whenever he associates covetousness with idolatry, he's speaking about wanting someone else. He's thinking about that, that, that uh, sinful desire to possess someone else for yourself. Put that to death, the apostle says. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Wow. In these things you too once walked while you were living in them. And, and we won't come back to this later, but I just want you to see right that there's always hope in the Scripture, right? Even if you've been walking in them, you can leave that. You can leave that. You can put it to, get, put it to death and find real life. In Christ. But for now, he says, you must put them all away. And now he thinks not just about uh, things inside of us, internal things, but also the way we relate to others. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, and he casts this incredible vision for the kingdom of God. Here there is no Greek and Jew. I believe with all my heart that if he was speaking right now, he would say there is no Arab and Jew, right? There is no Greek and Jew, he says. There is uh, no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian or Scythian. There is no slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. The very word of God. Oh, thank you, God. Keep your thumb there, if you would. But if you can slide over, I just want to remind you of one of our former memory verses in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think I have my, in my notes 17 and 18, but I think it's 16 and 17. Yes, it is. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Why are we gonna, not going to do that? Because if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, looky here, he says. Behold, the new has come. The very word of God. No, thank you, God. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, God. What a privilege it is to come to your word today. And what a joy it is for me to know that your Holy Spirit is going to interpret to each heart exactly what we need to hear. So we just invite you to be Lord over this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I apologize. We're going to move pretty fast today because we're in the meat of, of the practical application of 
the book of Colossians. But I want to just kind of frame it with you today to say, well, what does that mean? We use all these little Christianisms, don't we? What does it mean that we have become a new creation in Christ, right? What does that, what does that mean? And I'm tempted just to go to kind of Sunday school answers right here. The moment that you believe in Christ, there is a, a metamorphosis physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There is a metamorphosis, a change that happens. I'm going to suggest to you everything changes. And, and the balance of our earthly life is, is, is consumed by being transformed from glory to glory. Uh, gradually into the image of Jesus Christ. So that the metaphor that we use all the time, when people look at you, they see Jesus. So that metaphor is really true. You are Jesus with flesh on, right? Your spirit has been reborn, as the scripture says. You've been born again, and that transforms every other area of your life, every other aspect of your life. So let me just summarize uh, as we start by some truths that that most likely you've heard or many of you have put your weight down on. The greatest step of faith that we can take in our lives is to believe what God says about who Jesus is. The greatest step is that is that we believe what God says about who Jesus is and, and to verbalize that. Uh, that. Confess is not just verbalization. It means agree with God about what is true. To confess with our mouth him as, isn't it interesting that they always have this doublet, Savior, yes, but also Lord. We confess him sovereign over our life and and confess our utter dependence on him for salvation. Not um, new for many of you, but for some of you may be the first time that you have heard that. There's nothing more important in your life. And I know there's a lot of important things. Some of them are sitting around you right now. There's nothing more important in your life than that step of faith. But, but, the second greatest step, I believe, that you can take is to believe what God says about who you are. Do you feel that? To first of all, take the step of faith about who God says Jesus is, but then secondly, to take that step of faith about who God says you are. Let me just spell it out. Everyone you lay eyes on is a creation of God, and there. They're made in the image of God. Even the people that you're most ticked off about right now, you might see them on TV. It might be a family member. It might be, uh, it might be Hamas. Even the people that you are most upset with right now, that you are just asking God to smite them, right? They are made in the image of God. And they still, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done, they still carry a vestige of that image and are worthy. So, so I'm getting off track, but that's why it's so important to recognize our struggles, not against people, right? It's not against flesh and blood. God can change hearts like that. And, and so the struggles against the principalities and powers, the rulers and authorities, right, against spiritual uh, uh, 
warfare in the heavenly realms. Right? That's, that's where our struggle is. So, so if we're going to uh, come to that place where we can accept what God says about who we are, we have to recognize that we have to accept who God says everyone else is as well, right? Everyone is a creation of God made in the image of God. But that image has been deformed. It's been deformed in my life. It's been deformed in the lives of the people that, uh, that you are so angry with or hurt by or, or are struggling to overcome your, I'm going to use the word hatred of, right? Um, wow, wow. Through faith in Christ. And I'm going to say very specifically that he lived, that he died for our sins, that he rose again, breaking the power of sin, disease, and even death itself, and that he's coming again, that accountability factor. He is coming again, right? Through faith, creation, how God intended it to be is restored. So we have this hope in the midst of the standing on the precipice of World War III, right? We have this hope that creation is going to be restored as God intended it to be. Guess what? You are the deposit. You are the down payment. You are the harbinger of what will ultimately be a total renewal of creation, right? You and everyone else who has Jesus as Lord and Savior are a new creation in Christ. Wow. Do you believe this? Do you believe these things? You want to let your mouth know? Do you believe these things? Okay. Because, because with that foundation, and I recognize there's some that are coming to that place, you are welcome here. That, we're glad that you're here. This is a place for people on that spiritual journey. But the reason I ask is because I care deeply about your eternity. Right? And I think I'm a little especially conscious of that knowing that my time with you is relatively short. I care deeply about your eternity. But I also care about your life right now. Right now. And, and the testimony, the powerful testimony of Scripture, is that what we believe in large part determines how we behave. Right? What we believe in large part determines how we behave. I would add a corollary to that, by the way. Don't hold me to it, but, but um, you, to a certain extent, how you behave reveals what you believe, right? That's why, that's why Paul is getting brutally practical in our passage today. He's getting brutally practical because he knows that those two things are related. Belief and behavior are are related. So in Colossians, so far, we have learned in chapter 1 that Jesus is supreme over creation, over all creation. And we've learned in chapter 2 that Jesus is supreme over his church, right? And now, now we're turning a page, and we'll see in chapters 3 and 4 that, that Jesus also is supreme over the Christian. Over the Christian. I would say he's sovereign over the world, but he's not supreme in much of the world's heart. He is supreme 
over the Christian. So today, again, we're making a transition in Colossians. The first two chapters, Paul's invited us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And his point, as we said in worship today, his point was that when you have a genuine picture of the truths of God in and through Jesus, I mean a genuine picture, it is so beautiful, it is so glorious that nothing else will compare. Everything else will pale in comparison. So what we've been focusing on for all these weeks coming up to today is, is what is true, what we believe about Jesus. But in chapter 3 now, he, he makes a shift. He shifts his focus from what we believe to how we behave. In other words, how we put our belief into practice. And he does this in, in several books, the ones that are coming to my mind right now. Romans, the first the first 11 chapters, you know, he's talking deep, theological, powerful truths. And then in the last chapters, he talks about what does that look like put into practice. Ephesians falls out exactly half and half. The first three chapters uh, are, are, are deep, beautiful concepts of, about God and about Jesus. And then the last three chapters are about what does that look like played out in our lives. And the same thing is happening here in, in Colossians. The, uh, there are practical implications that should be evident when we submit or surrender to the supremacy of Jesus. It works itself out in our lives. And so in the next few weeks, we will be, we will be moving from principle to practice. In fact, I kind of ended up using that as kind of a, a pattern for our study of today's scripture. We're going to look at the principle, but we also want to look at the practice. And then, and then I could not resist. In almost every one of them, there was a promise that we can hold on to as well. As we move from principle to practice with the Apostle Paul, from the what is to what ought to be, it does little good if we declare and even defend truth, right, but we fail to demonstrate it in our lives. Um, The Scripture and the culture both have a word for that. It's called hypocrisy, right? It's called hypocrisy. So we don't want to be like those that, that are mentioned in the book of Titus, Titus 1.16. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. There are so many things I want God to say to me when I see him face to face. That is not one of them. That is not one of them. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. By the way, if you haven't visited Titus in recent months or years, uh, wow, it could have been written yesterday. It is astounding that nothing has ever changed, right? Cultures change, but falsehood and evil don't change. They are present in every one. One of my favorite um, commentators when I was first starting out was a guy named Warren Wiersbe, and he wrote all, just countless books on each of the books of the Bible but he reminds us in his commentary on the book of Colossians that the pagan religions of Paul's days taught little to nothing. Now, the pagan religions taught little to nothing about personal morality. A worshiper could, could bow before an idol, put his offering on the altar, and then go back to the same life of sin. Until next time. Anybody have a faint echo in their minds or their heart, right? Right? Oh my goodness, I'm vulnerable. 
to that too, right? To, to coming to church and, and singing with our worship team and just, just worshiping God and then just kind of checking that at the door and going back to my life. Christianity is different. It is different. Paul is arguing that we are set free from those powers of darkness and evil from the world, from our own flesh. We're set free from that. But now he's telling us that that we have been set free for a life that pleases God. Mm, The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Wouldn't that be, oh, I just love that so much. For someone to say the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Dave. so many things that would that do make my life very full. You're you're such a part of that, beloved. You're such a part of that. But to have the fullness of God be glad to dwell in me, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So so we've been set free from something for something. God's plan is to first make us new. And then, here's the hard part, to challenge us to live as new people. And the good news, in short, about this is that we don't have to be what we, we have always been. Would you say that with me? We don't have to be like we've always been. Would you say that one more time? We don't have to be like we've always been. We can break free, beloved. We can break free from the past if we know where to look. So what we're going to discover this morning is that if you want to break free from your past, then where you put your eyes is really important. And I always, when I think about the eyes, I always think about Job, uh, uh, shoot, where is it? Job, maybe 31, 1. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes, right? I made a covenant. It's like he's having a conversation with his eyes. Eyes, don't you dare do that, right? There's something about where we are looking. And so I, I could not resist the temptation to see our, this, this, this first foray into the practical side of what we believe, to see it uh, in terms of where are we looking, right? And, and so I want to challenge you first, look up. Since, or the rhetorical way of putting it, if then you have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Okay. Yes, yes. Yes, don't be ashamed of that, beloved. And I know you're just honoring me, not, not interrupting me, but, but uh, wow, we've got to own that. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, the Apostle Paul says, right? So there's a principle here, and the principle is that you have been, past tense, you have been raised with Christ, right? We saw uh, last week that... that that we died with Christ, and we heard a little bit of that um, in our worship earlier this service. We died with Christ, right? And since we died with Christ, we don't have to follow hollow and deceptive philosophies. Everything's changed. We don't even have to follow religious legalism, right? Those things are, were, were there for a reason, 
And now they have no purpose. Now we have been set free from those things. And in the same way, since we have been raised with Christ, we now have a new status and, and therefore a new way of life. We have a new power source for living, the Holy Spirit. Believers have died with Christ, been buried with him. They've been raised with him. And as the scripture states, we've been seated with him in the heavenly places. You said, I thought I was in a pew. On Oak Hill Road, uh, your body is. But theologically and spiritually, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's our position. And so we must appropriate these truths on a daily basis in order to break free from all the messages, all the tapes that are playing. Ooh, I just dated myself. Um, all the, uh, I can't think of something fast enough modern uh, all the podcasts, right? Uh, I, I'm an eight-track kind of guy, so, so um, wow. Uh, we've we've got to refocus on those truths if we're going to break free from the past. So the principle is we've been raised with Christ. The practice then is to set your minds on things above, and the word "set" there means to seek something out with that desire to have it be a part of your life. The word is in the present tense, too, which is, doesn't ever translate into English. But, but the idea is that it's not something that you do once when you were 13 and then just cruise on that the rest of your life. It means something you have to do every day. Every day, you continually set your mind above the brokenness and the pain, the sin and the evil which surrounds us and set it instead on Jesus. And the promise The promise from these first few verses is that we will appear with Christ in glory. Wow. I think, and I'm sorry to, sometimes I bring the cookies too low, to the too low a shelf, but but to overstate it, our outlook determines our outcome. Let's, Let's set our eyes on Jesus, right? Let's set our minds on things above. So look up. Look up, he says. But he's also saying look in, right? Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. In other words, we have to be willing, as we do each communion Sunday, I remind you, the only requirement is that you allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart, that you examine yourself and see if you are fully surrendered. And interestingly enough, especially in light of what I said earlier about how nothing has really changed, at least, at least five out of the six of them are things having to do with who we are as sexual beings. Right? And, and the Apostle Paul says, look in. What's going on inside of you? The principle is that sin still desires, I'm personifying sin here, but sin still desires to reign in our bodies. A lot of people did not understand that, that when you become a follower of Jesus, that that you still have to wrestle with sin. And so what we have done, and I'm just going to summarize a whole series for you in three sentences, what we have done is just remind ourselves that, that in Christ we have been saved from the penalty of sin. Do we still sin? Probably before you get out of the pew, right? 
but, but Christ paid the price for that. And there's no judgment or condemnation for those who are in Christ. We are not, by any stretch of the imagination, saying it's okay to continue sin. Knock your lights out, right? Uh, we're not saying that. We're just saying don't believe the lie that God doesn't love you just because you have a besetting sin that you constantly are, are having to repent of, right? Christ, Christ has saved you from the penalty of sin. Now, I, I want you to see how you have been saved, past tense. You are being saved. I can't talk. You are being saved from the power of sin. And this is where you partner with God, right? Satan has no power over you. Sin has no power over you unless you give it, right? Unless you surrender to that sin. And so right now, in this present tense, we are partnering with God. He is going to accomplish our sanctification, but he does that by partnering with us. There's a lot of different theologies out there, and so you're hearing mine right here. That we're in partnership one day, one day that sanctification will be complete. A lot of our sisters and brothers believe it's already complete. Um, we don't as Presbyterians. We believe that we're still in the midst of it. We are still in the mix, right? But you are being saved. That's why we need one another, the encouragement of one another, the accountability of one another to to do spiritual battle against the forces of evil, to resist the power of sin in our lives, right? But there's a future tense as well. You will be saved. You will be saved even one day from the presence of sin. Oh, won't that be glorious? That's, that's where you hear revelation. There'll be no tear or no sadness, all right? Because there'll be no sin. As, as we're going to conclude in a moment, Christ is all and he will be in all. Um, we're not there yet, beloved, but we have this hope. So, so recognize that the, the principle in this, these few verses here is that sin still desires to reign in your body and and you would do well to take just that, this, this look-in section and spend a day this week just focusing on that, inviting the Holy Spirit, say, God, is there any area of my life, sexual or non-sexual, that is still unsurrendered to you? The practice then, and, and he just uses brutal language, put to death what is earthly in you, right? You have died. You have been raised with Christ. You have the spiritual power to slay those desires that want to control you. That want to control you. And, and I hope you never hear an ounce of judgment from me about, about the struggle that you have against sin. It is real. And I'm going to use a stronger word, even addiction to sin, right? It is real. I know that I'm not minimizing your struggle, but I know the first thing I'm thinking about when I wake up in the morning is where my next cup of coffee is coming from, right? I'm addicted. I'm, I'm, I'm not minimizing the deeper ones that you struggle with. Um, uh, but but uh, you can see how easily that can control you, right? 
Uh, and, and so I say with myriad other saints who've gone before, oh, I could quit any time. Right? I have a massive headache. No one would want to be around me, but I, I, I could quit any time. Um, I know the struggle is real. And, and the Apostle Paul knew that. That's why he says you've got to put it to death. You've got to put it to death. Don't hear from me judgment about your coffee drinking, okay? Um, um, uh, the Holy Spirit will prompt you about those things that need to be put to death. It may be coffee drinking. I'm sorry, I'm smiling. I looked right at you and smiled. Um, we, we served together over at Hamilton Point, and uh, she, uh, she never saw me without a coffee cup in my hand. And so I, uh, I recently, yeah, very recently, um, uh, became a SIP club member at Panera Bread. Ask me about it. It's an incredible deal. Um, if, if you're an addict, right? I don't get, I don't get a commission from this. And, and, and so I took my first sip from my SIP club. I went to Panera Bread. I, got a, uh, I love hazelnut coffee, and I got a hazelnut coffee and a large hazelnut coffee. And I realized that um, their coffee is stronger than my coffee. And about an hour later, I was just going like, well, what's the matter? Am I having a heart attack? What is going on, right? Uh, wow. Uh, I don't mean to minimize it, but, but, but wow, that's what addictions do to us, right? They replace. I want to be addicted to Jesus, right? I want, to, I want to be so in tune with Jesus that as we sing, Christ would be my all in all, right? That it would be all I needed. There's a promise in this section as well. Let me just hit it real briefly. You are not what you once were. When the evil one says, who do you think you are? Right? Uh, let me just name your sins, right? Uh, by the way, that's not Jesus doing that, right? Uh, unless you ask the Holy Spirit to bring them to the surface. That's the evil one trying to get you to believe the lie that somehow God doesn't love you because of your failures, right? Um, that's the evil one. The, the precious gift of God is this, is this promise. You're not there yet. That famous line, but praise God I'm not who I was, right? I'm not where I was. It's hard to see growth when you look at yourself in the mirror every day. But every time I see my grandchildren, they've grown, right? They, it's, wow, they're different, different. And, and that's happening for you too. Look up, look in. And this, I, I could not resist, forgive me, but, but look out as well, right? And that is both look out, but that is also look out. Um, on account of these things, both the internal sins, the ones that only you are aware of, and the external ones like anger, right, and, and malice and wrath and slander and all those things, because of those things, the wrath of God is coming. I'll say it one more time. We said it over and over again. Don't picture wrath as uncontrolled rage. There's a different word for that. The wrath of God is not like human wrath on steroids, like, like somehow the, the people who are in the car accidents you see on, on, on those memes and things like that, you know, just raging against one another. It's not like God is a, a supersized rage. That's not wrath at all. The wrath of God was planned from the very beginning. The wrath of God is his justice. And, and beloved, a part of that justice is sometimes just letting the natural consequences of our sin play themselves out. You choose to ignore me. You choose to deny me. I'm just going to 
I'm, I'm not, I'm going to withhold my intervention in your life. I'm just going to let this play out, right? And, and the natural result of those things is pain and brokenness and suffering. We're seeing that just globally right now. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. One day, the judgment of God will come, and, and we've studied that in Revelation. It'll come, and it will not be pretty. Part of my, my goal and joy for you, come on up, worship team, if you would. Part of my goal and joy for you is to, is to uh, avoid that, right? To come to know Jesus in such a way that you will not stand in judgment when judgment comes, when Jesus comes. But for now, look out, right? God's wrath is coming. The practice that goes with that principle is then to put off the last vestiges of your former life. Let's put away anger. I know it says be angry, but but, um, he's speaking of righteous anger. And very little of the time is our anger, righteous anger. I've shared with you before, mine is usually fear. Put away wrath, put away malice, slander, and obscene talks. In other words, put off the way you once walked. Put it off. Put it off, right? Uh, Jordan, bless his little pointed head, is going to get next week to do the fun part of this. And when Paul says, now, put, having put all that dirty stuff off, put on these things. But for today, it's good for us to just camp in that, right? Just camp in that. We're going to put off not only sins against ourselves, the first part of that scripture, but also sins against others. And the promise, this is so beautiful, the promise, the hope, the built-in declaration of God is that sin no longer has control of your life. Why? Because someone else has control of your life. You, right? No. Jesus. Jesus. Wow. Wow. Sin will not Control your life. You're not who you once were. There's a, um, a famous theologian and his assistant. His assistant's name was Pumba. And his, um, his name himself was Timon. And what Timon said was, you've got to put your behind in your past, right? You've got to put your hind behind in your past. I misquoted that the first time and, and almost got myself into trouble. Um, um, yeah, you're not who you once were. The past is gone. You're a new creation in Christ. So lastly, look around, right? He casts a vision. The same thing appears in Galatians. It's an incredible vision for what the world could be, what the world can be now through the presence of Christ in his followers, but also uh, what the world will be one day when, when we stand before the throne of Jesus, people from every tribe and tongue and nation under heaven, right? Every people group under heaven is going to be represented there. But, but Paul says it this way, Here there is no Jew nor Greek, nor circumcised nor uncircumcised, nor barbarian or Scythian. Uh, and it's unclear exactly what that is other than to know that the, the Scythians were way to the north, the barbarians were way to the south, it might be a geographic thing. It might be a, a temperament thing. No slave nor free, he adds in Galatians, nor male nor female. Not saying that there's no such thing. He's saying there's no difference in how uh, God transforms a life for any of these. Um, look around. We've got to not only look up and look in, but we have to, we have to um, look around as well. The principles, and I, there's two of them here, is that Christ is everything. Christ is everything. Christ is all. He is sufficient 
we've seen over and over again. He's all you need, but but he's also supreme. He is Lord over every aspect, not only of your life, but of creation. And as a result, the second principle, human distinctions do not matter in heaven. I'm tempted to crack a joke, but you know that when we get to heaven, it's not going to say evangelical Presbyterian on the door, right? It's not. It's not. I so enjoy communing with other people, uh, other Christian denominations and non-denominations in our city because we find out that what we disagree on is so minimal compared to what we agree on, right? Uh, but Paul takes that to the nth degree. He says not just theologically, but personally as well. He thinks of everything he can think of to say what, while we might divide people. And he says, I don't do that. God doesn't do that. Human distinctions do not matter in heaven. So lastly then, um, what is the practice for us? What is the practice? From now on, therefore... In 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul says, We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Jesus that way. We do so no longer, right? Um, Look around, beloved. Everybody you lay eyes on is precious creation of God and worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Everyone you lay eyes on, even those that you do not want to be around, everyone is beloved of Jesus. And so, so how are we going to treat them, right? Well, Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, I would add the last of these, the lost of these, everything, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to me. You do it to me. Let me spend just 30 seconds, if I could, on... Um, and I'm, I'm not a politician, uh, um, I I'm, I'm, want to spend my energies on, on getting to know Jesus better. Um, but um, neither um, Hamas or Judaism is um, surrendering to what you just read. And it's outward, above and beyond evil. But if you don't have Jesus, you can't respond in grace, right? And so what we're seeing is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, and, um, and people, evil people who launched rockets from hospitals and schools, knowing that in retaliation, missiles would come back and kill innocent people, are driving the process. Where does that come from? Not Hamas, right? Not Hamas. Um, and I understand you should have seen me. I've got a, one daughter here, the other one's traveling. Um, the thing that immediately hit me when, when those terrorists crossed the border, um, what if that was my daughter? I wasn't worried about my son. I knew he'd take him out. But what about, what about my daughter? <clears throat> um, uh, oh, I found all the things that we just talked about rising up in me, anger, hate. I did all that stuff came up in me, and I'm guessing in some of you, if you thought deeply about what was going on, those things are coming up as well. But, but, but one group is responding 
an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. And actually, it's an eye for an eye and two teeth for two teeth, right? You kind of think it's, it's exponentially increasing. And we stand this morning on the precipice of a global uh, war again, right? When we have a solution. Mm. We have a solution. It's Jesus. So, so um, when you're in the coffee shop and you are arguing with someone about that, I don't pretend to have the only perspective on that. I'm just saying neither of those sides have the resources that you have. You rely on resources that you have in Jesus, okay? And the promise, promise is no matter how many times we fall short, that, that we are constantly being renewed. We're being made new again in the image of our Creator. So what are you looking for this morning? Where are you looking for it, right? Stop looking down. Stop searching for something that will never satisfy it. Instead, seek Christ by looking up, by looking in, by looking out and by by looking around. And I'll finish today with what I started with. What do you believe? What do you believe this morning? Better than that, who do you believe in? For there's only one who is able to solve the concerns of your heart this morning. Let's focus on him as we close. Shall we do that?